sweetness comes in a lot of joyful places. And, and I think normalizing that that's good by separating it from the negative health effects is really important to us as a human society, because we need to have joy and we also need to have health. And uh, we very much view sweet proteins as, as one of the key tools in helping us reestablish that connection, right? Uh, that both joy and, and health can live in the same place around sweetness. Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and this twice-a-week podcast is dedicated to helping you achieve physical self-mastery by getting stronger, optimizing your nutrition, and upgrading your body composition. We'll uncover science-backed strategies for movement, metabolism, muscle, and mindset with a skeptical eye on the fitness industry so you can look and feel your absolute best. Let's dive right in. Wits and Weights community, welcome to another episode of the Wits and Weights podcast. Have you ever heard of sweet proteins? If not, because I haven't, you're in for a treat, pun intended, as we dive into this topic with Jason Ryder, CTO and co-founder of Oobly, a food technology company building a new category of food and beverages based on naturally sweet proteins. You'll learn about these sweet proteins from the science behind them to their potential health benefits to what foods you might find them in. Jason will share his insights on the role of sweet proteins in our diet and how they're poised to disrupt the food industry, not to mention the effects on our health and even how they're made. Prior to Oobly, Jason spent time in senior technical leadership roles at Amiris, Bolt Threads, and Hampton Creek Eat Just. He earned a BS in chemical engineering from the University of Alabama, so real scientist here on the show, and a PhD in chemical engineering from the University of California, Berkeley. In 2018, Jason joined the UC Berkeley faculty in the Department of Chemical and Biomolecular Engineering, where he currently serves as adjunct professor and executive director of the Master of Bioprocess Engineering program. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Philip. Great to be here. Man, I'm excited to learn about this because I don't know anything about sweet proteins and I withheld from doing too much research uh, intentionally so that I can learn it from the man himself. Um, I do want to learn a little bit about you and your personal motivations before we jump into the topic. So how did you get interested in food technology for one and sweet protein specifically? And sort of what are your values and personal connection to all of this? Sure thing. Uh, so I'd, I'd say um, you, you got me right in, in the intro. Um, I am a chemical engineer by training, uh, but I'm a sustainable bioprocess engineer by choice. And uh, growing up in Alabama, I had strong sensibilities about sustainability. Uh, even back in the 80s and 90s, uh, before you know the rest of the world uh, really appreciated uh, what our choices as humans were, were, were you know, what what impacts they were having on on us from a climate, uh, food, and, and health perspective. And so, all of my work uh, up to date has been uh, figuring out different ways to harness uh, sustainable technologies like bioprocessing uh, to address those problems, uh, including when I was at Amherst uh, working on various. Uh, renewable chemicals and fuels via fermentation technology up through materials that was the bolt threads and all the way through the last uh, six, seven, eight years of, of my life focused on foods. Um, sweet proteins was a really interesting one for me uh, in, in terms of applying uh, my skill set, which is mostly around fermentation technologies uh, to, to address that. And it, and it came along in, in the form of food tech. I was working on a different problem, making uh, an egg replacement product at uh, Eat Just, the Just Egg product, and uh, stumbled across through a, a biotech incubator, my co-founder, who was working on sweet proteins. Uh, and, and his uh, interest in sweet proteins was around his grandmother who had cancer, 
which is horrible, uh, but also the chemotherapy treatments she was getting, which are horrible. What they don't tell you is you oftentimes lose your taste. And uh, one of these sweet proteins uh, from the Miracle Berry, it's called Miraculin, uh, enables you to regain the taste buds, which is fantastic when you're going through chemotherapy and you need nutrition. Uh, you'd love to have the taste of food so that you can eat and, and rebuild health. And so um, what I did when I joined uh, was to uh, figure out a technology beyond growing these, these plants that produce these sweet proteins, taking it to fermentation technology uh, so that you can have a scalable and affordable solution. And um, that, that was, uh, again, it, it sort of hit me right um, in the sweet spot, pun fully intended, of the things <laughs> that I care about, uh, sustainability, climate, food, and, and health all in one. Okay, so there's a couple of things I wanted to pull the thread on in those. One is bioprocess engineering and bioprocessing in general as a medium of sustainability. If you could explain that a little bit, and then I have another follow-up after that. Sure. So most of your listeners are familiar with biotechnology, and that's uh, mostly around using living cells to make bio-based products uh, in ways that are more sustainable than, than, than the other ways that humans have produced them. A great example are biofuels and biomaterials, right? Those that are produced via fermentation. And um, bioprocessing is using those living cells, essentially building scalable processes around them so that you can make uh, these materials uh, in our case, foods at a scale that 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 is meaningful for the planet and addressing those problems. So things like large scale fermentation, everybody's familiar with brewing beer. Uh, mm -hmm. In our case, uh, we brew sweet proteins, and and that's the the bioprocess engineering that we do at Ubli. Okay, and one of those you mentioned was Miraculin, which is an amazing name for, from the Miracle Berries, <laughs> and you regain taste during chemotherapy. So the obvious question you've probably been asked before is, what about the COVID? Uh, long COVID symptom where people lose taste, does it help in it that regard? It works for that as well. Um, Interesting. And, and, and again, I think we're all trying to get rid of COVID, right, or, or trying to shake it. Uh, but it is a very useful uh, sweet protein uh, for, for those that have been impacted. Okay, so let's step back and talk about sweet proteins in general. Let's just define them, what they are. Um, why haven't most people, myself included, heard about them? And I'll tell you, I know a lot about food and, <laughs> you know, I, I look at, I think about macros and micros all the time and food selection. I have clients who are always talking about food, but I've just, it's just a new one to me. Um, start high level and then feel free to dig into the science like we talked about before we started recording and then uh, how they compare to other sweeteners would be helpful. Sure thing. So um, at high level, sweet proteins are, are simply proteins that taste sweet like sugar. Uh, they come mostly from plants and berries around the equator. And unlike sugar and alternative sweeteners that most of your listeners are familiar with, sweet proteins don't spike your blood sugar or give you gut microbiome issues. That makes them in and of themselves a revolutionary game changer in the world of healthy sweets. Going one level deeper um, for, for those of your listeners that want to dig into the science, um, proteins are, are relatively large biomolecules, right? They're made up of amino acids, often called the building blocks of life. Uh, but they comprise some 50% of the dry weight of your cells. Your body has a lot of proteins. They're very functional. And based on that sequence of amino acids, they have a three-dimensional folded structure that can take on a number of roles in your cells. Uh, catalyzing bioreactions. Uh, these are called enzymes. And even doing things like your DNA replication to make more of you, you need enzymes, you need protein, right? They're fundamental to life. Now, back to sweet proteins. Sweet proteins are a subclass of mostly plant-based proteins. I mentioned that come um, from plants, berries, and, and fruits around the equator. 
Um, and their amino acid sequence and three-dimensional structure make them sweet to our tongues, to our taste buds, what I'll call our T1R2 and T1R3 taste receptors. And they're thousands of times sweeter on a weight-weight basis than sugar. Now, why would a plant make such a protein that was sweet to humans uh, and, and, and sweeter in, in, instead of sugar? Well, plants are really good at making sugars. Uh, and, and they need to make sugars. Um, well, they make sugars by photosynthesis, right? That's their process. But they would rather turn those sugars into things like cellulose that enable them to grow more plant material for mm -hmm. more photosynthesis, right? That's the leaves and the stems and the like. It's metabolically expensive for them to simply store sugar, hoping that a human or a higher primate come along and eat them in, in hopes that they, they carry their seeds, right? And so we, we as humans, those mobile species and seed carriers and, and the early forests evolved and are, are wired to crave sugar for energy, right? We needed it to hunt and gather. And, and we gorged on, on sources like fruits and berries that these plants make. And so they simply made that trade off metabolically to make a small amount of a sweet protein to trick us into eating them as opposed to all that, that sugar. And that was their dirty trick on us several thousand years ago when we needed that energy. Uh, but nowadays, uh, we've cultivated sugar in a, a lot of forms, uh, namely sugarcane, corn syrup, uh, sugar beets. It's very cheap. It's recklessly abundant in our food system. And uh, we're, we're paying the price for it in, in the form of, you know, 40% prediabetes in the U.S. Uh, obesity rates are similar to that heart disease. I could go on. Um, it's just not natural. We weren't meant to eat that much sugar. And um, the cool thing about sweet proteins is they give us a path to have that sweetness, which we deserve as a people, Philip, but without all of that bad stuff associated with it. Yeah, I agree. The modern food environment has skewed things way off from where they were intended to be. And uh, I personally, and pretty much everybody listening to this, this can relate with the some level of sweet tooth, right? Whether it's, you know, yeah, we've gone to artificial sweeteners or stevia or something like that to continue enjoying sweet things without the deleterious effects of too much sugar, or we've gone just, you know, as much toward whole foods as we can, and you kind of lose that sensitivity. But there are a lot of people that are just still stuck in that, you know, cycle of, of eating the sugar. So I think it's fascinating how this was an evolutionary um, change in these plants to have highly dense form of sugar. So it was a more efficient uh, storage, and it still got the same uh, result of spreading seeds. I mean, that that's pretty cool. Is, is uh, in terms of like, the, all the plant matter on the planet, uh, I guess before agriculture came along, would these have comprised a decent amount of plant species or are they just small corner niches of, of the environment? Yes. So far, we know uh, there are between 10 or 20 of these species that are commonly known. And they're known because of the cultures uh, that identified them. They're mainly in West Africa and around the equator around the world. And uh, that's because these proteins, um, they don't have a long shelf life. Once you pick the berries or the fruits, uh, you got about three days to eat them before uh, different enzymes uh, in, inside those fruits break them down. Mm. And so they've stayed local. Um, the only one really to make it to the U.S. in any form is the miracle berry. Uh, and it still has to be grown in a tropical area, uh, mostly Florida and, and Hawaii. And so the cool thing about fermentation is, is we can brew these proteins in the same way that you brew beer. Uh, mm -hmm. And you can brew beer anywhere on the planet. And, and that's, that's game-changing technology to go with the game-changing proteins is you, you can make them and make them at a scale that's meaningful as sugar is literally everywhere. I'd say 70 to 80% of the products in your grocery store have sugar in some form or another. And, and it's confusing for consumers because we call sugar a lot of different things. 
at least 50 by my count. And uh, sweet, sweet proteins uh, give you a great al- alternative to that. Uh, and so that, that's why we're working on it. Okay. So let's, I, I kind of want to dispel, if, if my audience gets too excited thinking that this is like the new base of a protein powder or something, right? We usually discuss protein in terms of it's important for building, importance for building and repairing muscle, increasing satiety in our diet, um, higher thermic effect of feeding all those. And we're talking about, you know, fairly high quantities of that macronutrient in our diet. But I suspect the sweet proteins aren't necessarily consumed at that quantity. And so what is, first of all, let, let's, let's, let's discuss whether that's true or not. And then what's the added benefit of the proteins that taste sweet? Is it mainly as a sweetener? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So, so I'll give you a visual example since we're recording for, uh, for your audience. And so um, I'm going to show you a, a bottle of an orange uh, fizzy beverage uh, that has around 72 grams of sugar in it, right? which looks roughly like this, 18 sugar cubes, which are around four grams each. And so when we sweeten a beverage, um, like our sweet iced teas, it only takes a few tens of milligrams of sweet protein because of the potency uh, of the sweetness, right? Thousands of times more potent than sugar. So for the audience, it's a big jar of many, many, many cubes of sugar versus a tiny vial of a tiny sprinkle of, of the sweet protein. Yeah, so a few tens of milligrams isn't going to get you the protein loading if you're trying to get out and get swole. Um, There's lots of other great protein sources for that, either animal or or plant-based, depending on your sensibilities. And so um, what we do is is functionally sweeten uh, that product. And so if you're having a protein shake, for example, uh, we can give you that sweet taste that you're looking for in your chocolate or your strawberry or vanilla. Uh, but we can do that with a tiny amount of protein while you're getting the building blocks for all of that muscle from another protein, for example, like whey or pea protein. Love it. And that's actually a great point because, again, most people listening probably have at least one, if not two protein shakes a day. And because most people don't like pure, uh, unflavored whey protein, uh, they tend to buy the kind that has flavoring, which then is associated with usually a form of sweetener, whether it's sucralose or stevia or something else. So we'll we'll get into specific products in a bit, but I do... I want to talk a little bit more about this sweetening aspect of it, right? We don't want to add sugar. Um, we will we'll eat fruit and things like that to satisfy our sweet tooth. We'll use these other sweeteners in moderation um, if the alternative is significantly more calories, right? Because that's what we're trying to do. What's your take on added sugar and our tendency to make things sweet in general and then artificial sweeteners? Uh, you know, because you did allude to insulin spiking. You alluded to gut microbiome. And I know some of that science is is sketchy and some of it is more solid. Plus you had the recent WHO announcement on aspartame, which is getting a lot of controversy. So what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah. So, so let me describe for your listeners um, how sweeteners and, and in turn uh, sweet proteins work. And so uh, you have uh, a great analytical instrument in your mouth um, for evaluating the sweetness, right? Because we're, we're, we're hardwired for it. We need sugar for energy. It's the great currency from which uh, we fuel our daily life. And um, so we have these T1R2 and T1R3 taste receptors uh, on your taste buds that tell your brain, hey, this is sweet. You should eat more of it. And that never stops, right? Um, but uh, it, it also, we, we have additional uh, taste receptors in our gut. And uh, they do the same thing. They tell your brain, ah, we see sweetness, keep eating that, but also it, it alerts your pancreas to make insulin, right? To ferry that sugar into the bloodstream so that you can use it to fuel your life. 
And so um, sweet proteins work uh, more or less the same way as sugar and those alternative sweeteners is they, they bombard your taste receptor to tell you you have that sweetness. The difference comes back to the chemistry that I explained before is they're made of amino acids and they have a folded structure. And so the difference in sweet proteins is once they hit your stomach, which uh, is an acidic environment or low pH, as, as, as scientists uh, tend to think of it, it unfolds. And when it unfolds, it loses its activity uh, for tripping that, that taste receptor that's in your gut. Those taste receptors are in your gut because most of the form of sugar you get are from more complex carbohydrates where you take those simple sugars and you connect them. Uh, you polymerize them, right? And, and, and those are, you know, things like complex sugars, mal maltodextrin, I could go on, mm -hmm. right? And so you need to be able to tell your body that, that the sugar is being broken down by enzymes so you can ferry it into your bloodstream. So the sweet proteins don't touch any of those. And so they don't spike your insulin response. That's super important, right? Because even alternative sweeteners can continue to give you that sweetness response in your GI tract, continue to, to bombard insulin production and lead to type 2 diabetes. And so that's a big difference. Another big difference is your gut microbiome. Um, for those of you that eat protein or drink lots of protein shakes or eat high protein products that are sweetened by alternative sweeteners, call it aspartame, uh, stevia, uh, you know, I could go on. You might have tolerability issues. Um, that's a polite way of saying give you gas. Mm -hmm. um, you are all walking, talking fermenters as you have a, a number of different microbes that, that are in your tummy that help you break down all of the things that aren't broken down by your normal GI process. And uh, it's a consortium. There's lots of different species in there. And when they get out of balance, and they can get out of balance when they're exposed to different um, different chemicals they're not used to or different uh, food sources that you're not evolved around. And uh, that certainly happens when you have high levels of alternative sweeteners, even stevia and monk fruit. And so the cool thing about sweet proteins is they never get to the gut microbiome. Your body has already unfolded them and is breaking them down into the peptides and amino acids that you normally need uh, to, to build cells and all of that great cellular function I mentioned earlier. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I can definitely foresee so many applications for that where, you know, protein bars are a big one. People talk about, you know, getting yeah. bloated and whatnot because they have the sugar alcohols. There's things like allulose. There, there's always some new innovation and they, they all seem to have a little bit of a, a disadvantage in one of those areas, depending on the quantities you consume them in. Um, so we talked about, all right, I, I think that's amazing. The, the protein structure fold and how it unfolds when you get to your gut and because of the acidic environment and then it doesn't trigger the receptor. This is the science. I know we're, we're diving a little deep and not too deep. It's just, just what I like to hear. Um, what about, so let's talk about the implications of this then and maybe the food supply, the technology, uh, the psychology of dieting and all of that that some of we alluded to. The psychology of dieting, right? We have an emotional relationship with food. How do you see your work with sweet proteins impacting that? Yeah, I, I think we shouldn't hate on ourselves or criminalize sweetness, right? It's a great thing. We associate it with all of the fun things in our lives, like birthdays, for example, birthday cakes. Um, you know, even my kids, they, they are self-acclaimed, uh, self uh, you know, boba tea experts, right? So sweetness comes in a lot of joyful places. And, and I think normalizing that that's good by separating it from the negative health effects is really important to us as a human society. Uh, because, you know, we need to have joy and we also need to have health. And uh, we very much view sweet proteins as, as one of the key tools in helping us reestablish that connection, right? Uh, that 
both joy and, and health can live in the same place around sweetness. Yeah, no, couldn't couldn't put it better myself. We talk about sustainability on this program all the time. Of you know, no foods are really off limit, except maybe trans fats. <laughs> but uh, no foods are off limit to some extent as long as they meet your goals and they serve what you're trying to do. So part of that is our life, our lifestyle, our um, social situations. I, I just today answered the question about carnivore diet and and how you know when you restrict things too much, then you now you, all of a sudden you're making all these other trade offs and compromises. So. If we can use technology to kind of bring that back to a rational space, it's, it's all the better. So as a food technology expert, um, how do you see this transforming the industry? Because I know you guys, I know Ubly makes a few products, maybe two or three different products. Um, is this going to re- replace traditional sweeteners on a, on a large scale? Will we be able to buy them in you know, containers and packets in the store? Will they be in protein powders and bars and everything at some point? Yes, to that. Um, th- that is my goal is, of course, we're developing uh, a few of our own products to feature our sweet proteins and also establish that relationship of trust with, with consumers. Um, I, I, I imagine a few of your listeners feel a little jerked around by the stories on, you know, sugar and alternative sweeteners. And even recently, um, aspartame has been linked to uh, cancer. Uh, sucralose, a chlorinated sugar of sorts, is linked to genotoxicity. This is scary. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to know what to trust. And so we're, we're launching our own products and we've done our own safety studies uh, for our, our consumers to try, get curious about sweet proteins, drink our sweet iced teas, uh, eat our chocolates. You can go to oobly.com and find all of those, uh, as well as a few stores here in Davis and down in LA. Um, and, and I think that's a great first step in, in a series of products that we'd like to launch ourselves uh, through Ubli's brand, uh, but also partner with others to help rehabilitate uh, products that, you know, a lot of your listeners and consumers in general love, uh, but are loaded with sugar. And uh, we, we know how to formulate in all of those products. And we're working on um, a platform of these sweet proteins that can get to all of them. And so um, that's really what I'm looking for um, throughout the rest of, of my career with Ubli is, is to figure out how to uh, basically go everywhere sugar is. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I am, I'm looking forward to that, you know, because I, I put some stevia in my coffee every day because it's, a, you know, quote unquote, the making all the trade-offs that I can make. It's the best option I feel like I have at the moment. But if I could take a little drop or a dollop of your uh, <laughs> sweet proteins in there from the Miracle Barrier, wherever it comes from, that would be great. We're working um, on it, Philip. Yeah. And so the, the, the protein that you'll see um, and, and experience through your mouth when you buy our sweet iced teas, uh, as well as our chocolates, is called the oobly fruit sweet protein. Um, it does come from the oobly fruit, which is another one of those plant species and its berries that grow in, in West Africa. And um, it, um, it's an amazing uh, sweet protein, gives you a, a, a really sh- sugary sucrose taste in your mouth that you, you crave. And, and again, it's because that specific plant evolved to trick us into thinking it was sucrose. And so enjoy that. And uh, there's, there's several more on the way. That, that's a good point, right? Because some of these alternative sweeteners, even if they're quote unquote natural, have after, aftertaste or they're bitter. A lot of people don't like stevia, for example. And uh, which is the one in the pink packet that just nobody likes anymore. <laughs> but uh, I'm curious. So Ubli, now I see where the name of the company comes from. Um, the food labeling, how's, what's that going to look like? Or I mean, you already know what it looks like because you have to have the FDA labels. What is it um, expressed as in the food label? Yeah, we, we call it Ubli Fruit Sweet Protein. 
Mm-hmm. As uh, we feel that that's the most direct uh, and, and honest way to talk about sweet proteins with with consumers uh, in a way that they can grab onto. Um, there are technical names for all of these proteins. Um, I mentioned one, uh, the, the miracle berry uh, fruit protein is, is referred to as miraculin. Uh, the oobly fruit sweet protein is also called brazine. Uh, but, but not all of, of our, our, your listeners or even our consumers are, are protein biochemists. And I think uh, recognizing that the, the proteins are, are natural, um, they're identical to the ones that come out of plants. They just happen to be made via fermentation is important to know. Um, I think we all know in, in, in our hearts and heads that natural products are the best ones for us. Uh, but, but um, you know, calling them something arose by any other name, I, I think name's pretty important. And so for us, we're going to name them by the berries that these natural proteins come from. Yeah, full transparency. What, what, is the, what about the macro labeling? Does it is it does it have to be shown as a sugar, a carb, a protein? What is it? It doesn't show up anywhere because it doesn't break the threshold oh, of so one small. gram. It's so small, okay. Protein, right? There you go. So, okay. so um, we believe me, we struggled on that. Um, I'm a scientist and engineer. I over communicate by nature. I've probably done a lot of that here, and so uh, we we you know played around with our label a lot to try to figure out how to to tell our, our, uh, consumers about our superhero proteins, but, but also, uh, explain why there aren't 10 grams of it. Um, mm-hmm. you don't need very much. You just need a couple of tens of milligrams actually to get that sweetness. I get it. It's kind of like salt. And when they put salt in something, it just says salt and there's very little of anything in it. Well, it might show sodium, but yeah. what, what, um, does, so if we, if we, on your sweet tea, cause I, I actually didn't look at the label yet. Does it have, does it have any other sugars in it besides that? It does. So, okay. um, for example, with our, our lemon, peach, and, and mango yuzu sweet teas, uh, we do use fruit to make all of those. And so along with that, fruit comes around 5 grams uh, for our 16-ounce uh, teas. Um, but, but again, we don't, think nat- uh, we don't think sugar is a bad thing, uh, but having too much sugar has is, is certainly been a bad thing for us. And so we have uh, the, the, the natural fruit that comes along as well as um, a, a little bit of agave um, to, to round out. And what we're looking for with our sweet proteins is um, an unrecognizable reduction in sugar that doesn't give you those off notes that things mm-hmm. like stevia and monk fruit and even aspartame and, and sucralose give you that you can have the sweetness in, in the form that you expect and, and maybe not even know there's sweet proteins in there. We want you to know there's sweet proteins mm-hmm. in there for sure. Uh, but, but uh, you know, y- your mouth is, is a very finely tuned instrument around sweetness. And so um, our sweet proteins, along with a little bit of sugar that comes with the fruit, is just the right balance for our teas and chocolates. We feel like that. Hope, hope you okay. do. Okay. Yeah, I, w- I want to try them. So <laughs> we'll see. I love chocolate. So, that, you know, it could be dangerous, but that's a, that's a good thing. I love chocolate. Hi, my name is Lisa, and I'd like to give a big shout out to my nutrition coach, Philippe. With his coaching, I have lost 17 pounds. He helped me identify the reason that I wanted to lose weight, and it's very simple, longevity. I want to be healthy, active, and independent until the day I die. He introduced me to this wonderful little app called MacroFactor. I got that part of my nutrition figured out. Along with that is the movement part of nutrition. There's a plan to it, and he really helped me with that. The other thing he helped me with was knowing that I need to get a lot of steps in. So the more steps you have, the higher your expenditure is and the easier it is to lose weight. When it's presented to you like he presents it, it makes even more sense. And the other thing that he had was a hunker guide and that really helped me. So thank you, Philip. 
So you mentioned the sourcing and the types of berries they might come from and where they're located. Uh, let's talk about the fermentation process because I am curious about that, how that comes into this. Sure thing. So uh, we brew our sweet proteins much the same way you, you would brew beer. Uh, we use a, a, a food safe uh, uh, yeast just like uh, you would use for brewing beer. And so uh, we, we it does require a little bit of sugar. Uh, but again, uh, that sugar is upgraded uh, in, in a lot of ways, given that the, the sweet protein is thousands of times more potent. So it, it takes a lot less sugar to make our sweet proteins than you would in practice using these products. Um, and so um, I, I mentioned I'm a sustainable bioprocess engineer. And so all the steps that follow fermentation uh, are simple, simply some mechanical separation, filtration, and drying to make that, um, that uh, sweet protein ingredient that I'm holding up here. And uh, it's great. Uh, again, if, if you think about the sustainability aspect of what we're doing, um, sugar's grown about 65 million acres across the earth, 65 million acres that in many cases used to be rainforests. In all cases, could be rainforests again or uh, be growing more nutritional crops, right? Uh, most of the sugar grown is to put into drinks and candy bars. And so um, for us, you know, every six, 600 or every 1% reduction in sugar gives us 650,000 acres back. Um, for us to do that, um, you know, replant the rainforest so that the earth can breathe or, or, or grow, you know, better crops uh, to solve the world's sort of food disparities. And so I'm super excited about that. And, and also the fact that you don't have to ship that sugar in the places where it's grown. Brazil, for example, is a huge exporter of sugar, requires a lot of fuel to get it to the ports and a lot of fuel to, to put it on barges to ship where it needs to go. That's carbon in our air that we don't need. Um, and so the great thing about precision fermentation and in our case, making these sweet proteins is we can make them very close to where you use them and avoid a lot of those costs, not just the, the agricultural ones, but mm -hmm. the shipping costs. Because uh, it's again, you need a lot less mass for sure, um, a thousand times less. Yeah. People, people care more and more today as they should about how their products are made and sourced and if there's a net if there's a net benefit where it's not a government industry government agency coming in and telling you have to do it and it's just innovation i mean people typically get on board with that um what does the competitive landscape look like are there other companies doing the same thing um is is the scalability there or are there some still challenges in that realm sure thing yeah there there for sure a a, a few other companies that are exploring sweet proteins uh, it's still a relatively new area um, for folks to commercialize. We commercialized the first one and the first products uh, behind it. We we also were the first to publish safety studies uh, around using these as ingredients. Uh, but but there there are more folks on the way. I'd, I'd say what differentiates us from some of the other um, folks that are doing this is uh, we are manufacturing on three different continents now, uh, which is great. Uh, building a robust supply chain so that we can make sure we can get it to all of our consumers that that want it. Uh, and we're also focused on natural proteins, those that are that are that are present uh, in the plants in nature. There's always an opportunity uh, when you're you're making proteins um, to you know to make mutant proteins, right? Nice, yeah. uh, molecular substitutions that give you a different sweetness profile that can give you um, a different flavor profile, and and I'd say that might be important uh, to consumers in the future. Um, it's, it, I, I think most folks are focused on, on natural products now. Uh, and, and I think that's a good thing. 
Mm-hmm. And I'd say, you know, in the future, uh, when that's important and, and when the safety uh, of those mutant proteins has been established, I'd say it's a great time. So speaking of safety of, of your products, you mentioned safety studies. I'm going to assume the, that your company is funding them, maybe not. How, how, how do you ensure the independence of those studies? Uh, so we do all of our safety studies with third parties. Okay. Uh, and uh, we, we partner with the FDA, um, who also has a great interest, in, at least in the U.S., on, on consumer safety. And uh, they're all scientists that review um, our data packages. And even before that, we have an expert panel of, of independent scientists that are even independent from the FDA uh, that review uh, our package. And so our, our first one, the Ubli Fruit Sweet Protein, uh, we've established what, what is called self-grass or generally recognized as safe um, for, for using the Ubli Fruit Sweet Protein as an ingredient to sweeten mm-hmm. And uh, that was signed off on uh, by independent scientists uh, in nutrition uh, and, and toxicology, et cetera. And uh, it's a similar process at the FDA. As you submit the package, uh, you meet with them. I've met with the FDA several times uh, to talk through that. And um, at the end of the process, um, after you've established that they progress or generally recognized as safe, uh, the FDA gets a chance to ask questions. And once they're out of questions, uh, they give you a no questions letter. And um, we have established the safety of the Ubli fruit sweet protein, um, but a, a lot of the, the large scale, um, you know, uh, stores uh, that distribute uh, would like to see that no questions letter to put them on on the big store shelves. Fair enough. Fair enough. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I, interests are generally aligned with these things. So I just want to ask it so the listener has some more information. Yeah. Um, and then you're at UC Berkeley. So how does your role there uh, contribute overlap to your work with the sweet proteins here? So I have a great passion for sustainability uh, in all forms. Uh, I tend to refer to it with my students as mass and energy balance is hugging the earth. Uh, my students are by and large uh, bioprocess engineers trying to learn how to use biotechnology and, and bioprocessing to solve problems across climate, food, and health. And uh, I, I hopefully make myself relevant by the work that I do in industry, um, keeping one foot uh, at Ubley and the other foot at UC Berkeley uh, to, for my students, uh, many of them are taking their last steps on their academic path before a long uh, one in, in industry where they're going to solve these problems. And so I bring my work into my classroom, uh, not just the work that I'm doing at Ubli, but all of the work I've done beforehand. And I, I also bring a lot of my colleagues who are working on similar problems into the classroom. And uh, that's a great way to build community, connect community, not just with the older folks like me uh, that are out doing it uh, at a more advanced stage of life, but also Uh, making sure we're growing and developing the young ones um, who will continue to work on these problems many, many decades into the future. So um, for for those of my students that are listening to this, go Bears. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think it's great when you're combining industry and and university. A lot of the folks in the fitness and nutrition space that I really admire and follow are are the ones who specifically look for studies that can involve real subjects doing real things that we all want to learn from and do, and then kind of bridge the science to say, you know, the bro science is right or it's not. But so extending that to what you do, are are there studies where you work with, I don't know, nutrition scientists, nutritionists, um, people that deal with um, either, uh, you know, weight loss, physique, uh, anything like that in the health and and body realm or obesity, you know? Um, Yeah. Tell me about that. We're interested in all of those things. And so um, I mentioned UC Berkeley, where, where I also teach, but uh, the, the company Ubli is right next to UC Davis. 
which has uh, a hospital as well as many of those experts that are working in the field of, of nutrition and health. And so uh, we have a number of studies that, that are ongoing uh, to evaluate um, the impact, if any, of, of uh, you know, sweet proteins uh, as you replace sugar and alternative sweeteners uh, so that we can publish that data for all to see. I think that's an important currency for us as a society to have objective truth in science uh, to make sure that uh, when we are bringing for example, new ingredients to market, of course, we have a process from which to establish that they're safe. That's the grass process I mentioned before. Uh, but it's not all encompassing. It doesn't touch on um, other things, right, um, that, that, that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. overall impacts on health. And, and more importantly, what changes when you replace something like, uh, you know, an alternative sweetener or, or, or sugar uh, with a sweet protein? So we're interested in all of those. Yeah, I am as well. There, there's even in the established uh, sweetener and artificial sweetener realm, as we know, being studied for decades, there's still uh, confounding data when you try to interpret what happens. For example, when we talk about diet soda and obesity, that uh, the idea that you know replacing sugar beverages with unsweetened actually helps obesity, and then others will argue that well, no, it triggers you know appetite, and then it it goes against it. And then others will say, well, it's it's people who are trying to lose weight are the ones drinking the more diet soda. So you tend to confound the variables. It'd be interesting at some point to see if these affect things like that. Like if you have um, oobly sweetener and only that kind of sweetener in a, in a food, would it then, because it doesn't spike insulin, would it then not have the same effect on your appetite? Right? Things like that. I don't know if any of those questions sounds like haven't really been answered yet because your focus is on safety and going to market. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, it's it's easy to assume that they don't, but I'd say it's really important to validate that it's not true. And uh, what I'd also say for any of your listeners that, that uh, you know, would like to collaborate or partner on this, uh, we think this is important to the whole world. Uh, me and my partner, Ali Wing, uh, are, are here to bend the global health curve on things like diabetes, obesity, uh, heart disease, and we can't do that alone, right? We're certainly going to try with our products, and I mentioned partnering with others, uh, but but this is a systems-level solution uh, to climate, food, and health. We'll need a lot of folks and all of the different, uh, you know, their, their respective uh, expertise and experience to, to help us. And uh, we're learning all the time. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner, I, 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 and, and I'd really like to learn everything there is to know about these sweet proteins. Uh, so if you're out there and, and would like to collaborate, drop me a line. There we go. There we go. And I probably throw you 10 or 15 names on top of my head too, that are just very respectable scientists in different realms of health and nutrition that I'm sure would be interested in this. Well, Philip, Um, we can make the sweet protein. We we make a lot of it. And uh, that was important in the early days from which to formulate products and still is. Uh, But but we now have uh, sufficient quantities uh, to launch products and, and also uh, do all of the studies we're interested to do. What what uh, I think the only thing I struggle with is is time and bandwidth, yes, right? But yes. I, I will find it. There's <laughs> there a study go. out there. I will find the bandwidth and the time. I, and I'm sure you will. And it is very exciting. I mean, anything new like this is exciting when, it, especially when it's from a plant which has just been on the earth for millions of years. <laughs> and you're like, well, we can do something new with it, which makes you wonder, always wonder what else is out there. Um, are, what are the criticisms or skepticisms? Let's just, you know, cover the other side here that you hear about sweet proteins. Yeah, most people don't know they even exist and they've never had them. And I think we have uh, a natural fear of the unknown. 
um, which uh, in, in my experience, education is a great solve for. And so a lot of what we're doing at Ubly is getting the good word out about sweet proteins. Hey, if you hadn't had them before, try them. Uh, we've we've had uh, many different uh, events and, and programs that, uh, that uh, enable folks to get discounts and in some cases even free chocolates uh, to try them. And uh, we put a lot on our website. Uh, we've been participating in, in a lot of great uh, uh, media forums like your podcast to, to get the word out and, and uh, also published our safety studies so that all can read. So uh, we're going to continue to do that uh, education in all forms, establishing that relationship of trust uh, with, with our consumers um, as, as we all uh, learn more about sweet proteins and all of the great places uh, in our food and beverage system that it can replace sugar. I think uh, on the opposite side, uh, we know a lot about sugar. Uh, the more we learn, uh, the more it validates um, you know, what, what we know, that it's not good for us in excess. And I'd say we're learning a lot more about the alternative sweeteners. Um, none of it is good. And so uh, consumers, much like you mentioned with Stevia, as they're looking for an alternative, um, you're making trade-offs to do it often on taste. And my joy in making sweet proteins is you don't have to have that trade-off. This is revolutionary. It's really a game changer. So I'm, I'm excited for y'all to try it. Pretty cool. Yeah. Me, yeah, me too, for sure. So since you are so excited, I could, I could sense it. I mean, what What's your vision for the future here? You know, I mean, you, you've sort of alluded to it of the research of getting the product into more hands, into more products. Um, is there anything else we didn't cover that that excites you about the future? No, I get excited every time I walk into a grocery store and I look at a product that I haven't thought about. And there aren't very many left, to be honest. Um, but but uh, it, it gets me excited about the next five or 10 years when we can get products in all of those areas that people love and enjoy sweetness from. And uh, I, I, you know, the way I would like to see that manifest is in true drops and the, the growth rate first for ob obesity, diabetes and, and heart disease. And then the direct correlation, I would love to be part of the studies that demonstrate it was Ubli's sweet proteins and the revolution that we created that started the bend on that mm -hmm. curve and started bending it in the opposite direction. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm excited about in the future. What would you say is one or two of the products that would have massive impact? I can think of one, and I think it's diet soda, personally, if that's a possibility. And I would love to hear how you would incorporate in that, because that's one, one of my vices. And I have no problem saying that, because the alternative would be other things that probably have a lot more calories. So um, yeah, well, what are those products? For sure. And, and I think you hit on that one, because 40% of the sugar we consume uh, comes in the form of beverages. Many of them are fizzy, uh, like that soda. And so the cool thing, uh, as I mentioned, uh, this, this bottle of orange soda that I showed you earlier in the, the 18 sugar cubes that go in, the only function that these sugar cubes do with this bottle of, of, of soda is sweeten it. And so that's a great product for us to formulate around, regardless of whether or not it's, uh, it's, it's a tea, um, which is one of the, the beverages that we're selling now, um, or a fizzy one, uh, which we plan to sell in the future. And so uh, that gives us coverage of 40 and, and some would even guess as high as 50% of, of sugary products. And, and they're, they're essentially drop-in replacements. So that's great when you can make it easy. Um, in, in other cases, like chocolates, right? That's our other product. It's a little more difficult because sugar makes up by bulk 50% of the chocolate bar. Uh, and so when you, when you remove all that sugar, 
and replace it with sweet protein, you can give somebody half of the size of the chocolate bar. They're, that's immediately going to give them a ho-hum effect, right? And so, Or you can replace it with something better. And so in, in our case, we've replaced it with fiber, uh, which is something that's come out of our diet with ultra-processed foods is we just don't eat enough fiber net-net. Uh, and so um, rebuilding products with more healthy ingredients, natural mm-hmm. ingredients that people can pronounce the names of uh, without PhDs is also a passion of mine. Again, I appreciate I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing science at the cutting edge and I also teach it at UC Berkeley, but I'm, I'm still an Alabama kid at heart mm-hmm. and trying to solve problems for everybody, right? Um, and, and, and certainly the problems that we're seeing uh, across climate, food and health are touching everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would, that would, that would be a massive impact. I mean, if you go into the grocery store and just go down the aisles, everything has sugar, just everything. I mean, pretty much you can randomly stick your hand out unless it's, you know, in the canned goods or something, it's going to have sugar. Um, you mentioned fibers that what kind of uh, fiber is added to those? Uh, so we, we work with a couple of different fibers, like uh, acacia fiber uh, is one of those chicory root fibers is another um, there's uh, several uh, what are, are widely uh, viewed as as healthy fibers, uh, plant based fibers. Of course, all fibers is plant based, uh, but but uh, can be good for you and, and help you uh, either as a, a, a prebiotic uh, or, or just a healthy addition to a product, uh, replacing what mm-hmm. we're used to, what the diet we evolved around and have removed because of you know the the advent of ultra processed foods. Yeah, I wanted to ask because some some of the the cheaper products will just use the corn fiber. So I was curious about that. Um, I had another well, question. So corn yeah. fiber and, and maltodextrin in, in general, um, we we view those as a backdoor to diabetes, and so you do have the enzymes uh, in your GI tract that can break down uh, much of that uh, soluble fiber in corn and make simple sugars, uh, which take you right back to spiking your blood insulin or your blood sugar level in your insulin and, and type 2 diabetes. And so um, the types of fiber that we select for and our products don't have that capability as uh, we, we really are working for those folks that, that want to get their sugar under control uh, without giving up taste. It's always an interesting topic, right? Because uh, I know you don't listen to this show religiously, but I definitely touch on carbs a lot and and the beauty of carbs and the benefit of carbs and, you know, everything from whole grains to starches to vegetables and fruits for energy, recovery, performance. Uh, And even for, you know, when you have a healthy lifestyle and you build insulin sensitivity, it's good to have the carbs. Sometimes you want to spike your insulin when you have to work out, for example, to draw on glucose or when you have muscle mass. But what we're talking about here is the the mass of of humanity that unfortunately consumes like 50 to 60% processed foods. And if you're not going to necessarily change it at the root, um, you can like chicory root, just kidding, uh, change it at the root, then at least um, change the available options in the environment, right? Because the Western food environment is a big obesogenic factor that, you know, you can, you can blame people for their choices, but the, it's out there. You know what I mean? It's very hard to, to get away from it. Yeah. And, and I, I do, um, I have listened to a couple of your podcasts, particularly the misconceptions on protein, because I'm a huge protein lover. And uh, and building muscle over forty, I think was was the title of it. And and I, I'll let your listeners guess which side of the of forty I'm on. Um, but but I think it's important and and uh, not to demonize carbohydrates, right? I think what you're you're telling your listeners is is you're a chemical engineer, right? Uh, you're solving mass and energy balances around people, much like I'm trying to solve them around the planet. And that that 
you know, make sure that N minus out, you know, equals accumulation or loss. And, and you want that at steady state, right, is, is how we got ourselves into this situation with diabetes and obesity and heart disease is by eating far too much of one type of carbohydrate, that's sugar. And uh, we did it because it's recklessly abundant and cheap. And, and, and I'd say it's an opportunity for us to take a step back and look at not just what we're eating, but what other folks are making and selling to us and saying, we want something different, mm-hmm. right? Um, we don't want to compromise on taste um, or health. And, and we need foods that respect both of those things. And so I, I, I think that's largely what you're speaking to is going back to a diet uh, that matches our lifestyle. Uh, certain from certainly from how much energy we're consuming, as well as the types of the carbohydrates that we're consuming, that they match our needs of our body that we evolved around, and uh, don't put us in a position where our, our mass and energy balance gets out of whack. Yeah, for sure. And, and the choices out there should be as abundant as possible to so that when we make those choices for our lifestyle, we can still be sustainable. We can still have our our social time. We can still make baked goods and birthday cakes and. All of that, because again, I, you know, I, I will tell people, look, if you, if donuts are non-negotiable, enjoy your donut. Let's just fit it in. Uh, but if you can have a donut made with a little bit better ingredients, uh, that just nudges us more in that um, healthier, healthier direction. Philip, I like the way you think, and I like your ideas. I think I just got a new one. Do you want to share it, or is this? Uh... <laughs> no, I, you mentioned donuts. Um, donuts are also a big thing um, for where I come from too. So, so something go. for me to work on after this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you still have the fried dough part of it, but you know, we can at least get the frosting and things going. All good things in moderation, right? Exactly, but I, I exactly. can certainly help you with the 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 sugar and the sweetness part of the donut. Sounds good. Um, okay, so I like to ask this of all guests, uh, and that is, what one question did you wish I had asked, and what is your answer? What one question did I wish you had asked? Um, I think it, it, it was more around the sustainability, uh, but, but I sort of seeded my own answer there is most folks don't connect uh, sweet proteins uh, with sustainability. It's the, the, the problems on uh, health and, and food are, are the obvious ones, uh, but, but sustainability is non-obvious. And uh, I'd love to leave your listeners uh, with uh, some of what I've seen in my life. I spent a lot of time in Brazil earlier in my career. Uh, building uh, bioprocess facilities that use that sugar uh, to make bio-based products. And, and there's a lot of sugarcane in Brazil and, and, and a lot of the tropical areas of the planet. And uh, it's, it's a, a, a terrible crop for us to be growing uh, from an environmental perspective. And so um, I'd love for th- folks to think about sugar reduction, not just in, in, in terms of their own bodies and their health and our food system, but also in terms of our global climate. And, um, yeah, that's, that's the, the question you didn't ask, but I think I answered a couple of times anyway. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, for sure. I was focused more on the health side, but that is, that is going to be valuable because when you hear stories about the rainforests and, and deforestation, things like at the end of the day, it's, it's, it, it affects all of us at some level, uh, the wildfires and all that, no matter what, what side of politics you are, there's a, you know, a, a very strong factual part of all this that we need to be aware of. It's yeah. like all things. If you don't get a chance to see it on a daily basis, it might be easy for you not to think about it. Uh, and so I, I'm encouraging folks to think about it as all of your choices have implications. And uh, we as as a human society uh, can make better ones together uh, and solve this whole system of, of problems we're facing across climate, food and health. I, I often don't refer to these as challenges or problems to my students 
I, I only use the word opportunity because um, they're at that early stage in life and they're, they're, you know, all, all ready to get out and tackle all of these, these opportunities. And I say, get after it. For sure. I'm going to quote my friend, uh, Alan, when he says the obstacle is the way, right? There you the go. Obstacle is the way. All right. So, vocabulary yeah. to you, Philip. Thank you for that. You uh, so where can listeners, Jason, find more about you, your work, Ubli, uh, any, any discount, any uh, study, whatever you want to send them, I can throw all those links in the show notes. Yes, please do. Visit our website, www.ubli.com. That's Ubli spelled O-O-B-L-I. And uh, you can uh, uh, buy our, our sweet iced teas, uh, both our, our, or rather our peach, our lemon, and our mango yuzu, uh, as well as our chocolates, dark chocolates. Um, for now, we do uh, have... Uh, milk chocolates on the way, uh, but our dark chocolates are, are silky cacao. Uh, we also have sea salt and raspberry bits. And so try them and please share your feedback. Feedback is a gift, certainly the supportive, but also corrective. I, I'd love to, to hear how you feel about our products and, and our sweet proteins in general, as we're making them for you. So I'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. So oobly.com, sweet iced tea, dark chocolate. That's my favorite kind. So I'm going to try those out, Jason. It was a pleasure to have you on. I'm, you know, I learned a lot. I'm sure the listener did. I'm looking forward to more of the sweet proteins in our, in our food supply. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate the time and and the ability to go a a bit deeper on, on sweet proteins with your listeners. And uh, I look forward to coming back and and telling you more uh, in the future. Sounds good, Jason. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Philip. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wits and Weights. If you found value in today's episode and know someone else who's looking to level up their wits or weights, please take a moment to share this episode with them. And make sure to hit the follow button in your podcast platform right now to catch the next episode. Until then, stay strong. Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best. And these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.